and whether the the scene ends up really steamy or closed door, I think there is what makes a sex scene special in a romance to me is that they are connecting at that level of essence. And so even if, you know, they're enemies, the lovers, or they're competing for some goal, you know, you have this sort of really encapsulated special moment where they're, you know, the, the mask is down and they're seeing each other in a, in a true way. And that, I think is really hot. Hey, steamers. Welcome to another episode of Steam Scenes, where Michelle Major is on the steam seat today. What a world one summer, don't you think? I, I found myself texting a friend the other day being like, damn, I miss COVID lockdown, where it felt like I had all the time in the world to dedicate to writing, which I did. Now I'm lucky if I get 500 words in. So, so that's how my writing is going lately. This episode is brought to you by The Groomsday Prophecy, which is my latest contemporary romance coming out on October 6th. The Groomsday Prophecy is a gender-swapped runaway bride. It's friends to lovers, second chance-ish, small town romance about a hotshot New York City reporter who returns to her hometown to do a story on her childhood best friend, who is being sued by his fourth, yep, that's fourth, jilted bride. It's launching my new small town Point Jude series, which is set in a fictional coastal town in, where else, Rhode Island. The cover reveal was this week, and if you hit up my Instagram, at grecolinawrites, you can check it out. It's adorable. Now on to my conversation with Michelle, who is basically my new best friend. We talk about some really great stuff like writing enemies to lovers, broody alpha males versus toxic romance. Um, it's a really great conversation, and I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed having Michelle Major is the USA Today best-selling author of over 40, or 40, 40, sexy and sweet contemporary romances. She loves second chances, second chance love stories, smart heroines, and strong heroes. A Midwesterner at heart, she's made the Rocky Mountains her home for nearly half her life and is thrilled to share her books with readers. Welcome, Michelle, to Steam Scenes. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. So 40 books. Yes, I think actually um, I'm I'm drawing close to 50 now at this point. So I, I love it. I feel very honored to, to do this as a career. How, how long have you been writing? My first book was published in 2013. Okay, so this is like 50 books in the past, God, we're like 10, nine years. Yeah, so um, I, I always had this goal for myself to hit 50 published books in 10 years. So I, I feel I'm on track to do that. Woohoo! Well done. So mm -hmm. how many books does that work out to a year for you? Um, you know, between the, I right now I am writing um, both smaller category line books and the bigger single title books. Okay. So between the, between the two lines, that works out to about uh, six or seven books a year. 
Oh, that's a, that's a lot. Which it feel when I say it, it feels like a lot when I'm sort of in the minutia of, of writing it. It just feels like what I do. So I, I'm kind of curious. Do you write like do you have like several titles going at once or are you like one book, one book, one book? I am in the in the writing phase, in the drafting. I am I really do best if I can concentrate on one book but I'm always editing a different book at the same time. So typically, you know, I'll do my writing in the morning or, or I'll do my editing in the morning if the words aren't coming well, but I, I time block and chunk how I do it. Okay. That seems like a smart, yeah, the smartest way to do it. During the pandemic, I was sort of able to do that where I would do my writing in the morning and then I would work on editing in the afternoon. But like now that, you know, stuff is sort of back to normal and my jobs are all coming back, it's, I'm like, yeah, no. It's a balance. I think we've all gotten out of the habit of having the real world be part of our lives and it's exciting to have it back, but it's also an adjustment. Yeah, no, I liked the pandemic. <laughs> I'm one of the few weirdos that was like, yeah, bring it back, bring it back. <laughs> yeah, for those of us who like just being alone in our houses, it was it was sort of a comfy time. It really was. It was like, this is the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so you said you love second chance love stories. So second chance is your jam. I want to sort of ask you, why do you love them? You know, I love Second Chance because writing contemporary romance um, and straight contemporary without a bit of thriller, no historical, the emotion is the emotion is really my jam. And right. so I feel like you can set up characters so fast and get the reader hooked in so quickly with the second chance because they have this built-in history and more often than not there was a falling out or a broken heart or something has happened to set up the conflict and I just love being able to dive right into that yeah and then you don't get that sort of like I mean do you struggle with insta love do do you struggle with that I do struggle a little bit with insta love. I think that it has to be done very carefully and I I think even when I'm as a reader, I feel like there are things I like to do as a writer and then, you know, I write contemporary which I love. Historical romance is my is my candy to read. But yeah, insta love it has to be done, I think, very carefully for it to feel authentic. Yeah, because, you know, when you're doing like a second chance or you're doing a friends to lovers or even an enemies to lovers, there's a history there between the characters that you can mine, that, yes. that they can have those sort of feelings. But when you're planting two strangers together and you need that sort of spark to happen and, you, and that's where you have that instant, like that's tricky. That's really tricky. Right. I think it's tricky too. And I think, I mean, I think we'll get into talking about more of the steamy stuff, but when you're writing intimate scenes, it's tricky there too, because I am a big fan of sex for the act of physical pleasure, but 
when you're writing romance, they're also, to me, in those, the best sex scenes are when they're connecting on kind of that soul deep essence level. And so that has to, the physical chemistry has to be as believable as the emotional connection. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because we're going to talk about that, but I see that in the scene that you that you sent me and I sort of flagged it and it was sort of about, okay, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. <laughs> but it does have to do with like how you approach the scene, how you wrote it and and what you left out. I'm gonna. I'm just. I was just gonna like leave it there. What you left out, okay. um, and 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 how that worked. That, that not a lot of that. I see a lot of writers are not leaving it out, and I think that it's often to the detriment of the story. Okay. So I'm just a little. Oh my gosh, like a little cliffy there. So teaser. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all have to listen to this whole interview. <laughs> so okay, so you got your start in 2013 with your first published book. Were you writing before that? What? Where, how did you come to this? You know, I was writing, I was, I was dabbling in writing. Um, I had a full-time job and I had two little kids and it was, it was very naive of me to think, um, cause I had transitioned to working from home and I thought, oh, I'll just do this writing thing when my children nap and sleep, which is what babies do but not on any sort of schedule I came to find out. Um, <laughs> so it took me, it, it, it took a few years, which I'm grateful for now because I really spent some time learning the craft and going to classes and kind of figuring out what, what I didn't know before I started really pursuing it seriously. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I wanted to be a writer when I was, you know, in college and I went to school for it. And then, you know, it was like the real world happened. And I was like, oh, you got to go get a job, you know, and and I kind of ended up being sort of like writer adjacent in my career and sort of felt like, oh, well, I guess that's going to be enough for whatever reason. But I also feel like that was probably a blessing. I don't think I could have written what I write now, I don't think I would have written what I write now when I was in my 20s. And I think that would have been a big mistake. Right. Yes. And I had a very similar journey to that. Um, well, when I was when I was going off to college and wanted to be an English major, my dad, bless his heart, said, that's great, but you can't be an English major because you can't make a living at that. So I was a journalism major, which seemed like the next best thing. Um, but then I got out into the real world and it just wasn't the kind of writing I wanted to do. But it wasn't until I was almost 30 that I even read a romance novel. And I just oh. one up, you know, which I think is very different than a lot of people, you know, who sort of stole their grandmother's harlequins back in the day. Um, I was, I was late to the genre and, but as soon as I did, I was like, Oh my gosh, these are the stories in my head. I could do this. This mm. is, I have found my people. And uh, so it was a really special, special discovery. Now, how, why do you think that you, because they were the stories in your head. So why didn't you find the genre earlier? I'm curious. I think because I had 
you know, no one around me was reading romance. I think a lot of people who come to it early, you know, it is passed down from a mom or a grandmother or an aunt. Nobody around me was reading romance. And I was raised just honestly to sort of, you know, shrug off the genre like a lot of people mm-hmm. do and focus on, you know, big literary right. books or the mm-hmm. the heavy Oprah books. And I read a lot across a lot of different areas. Um, but but yes, the stories in my head, and when I go back to the things, the stories that I loved as a kid, like Anne of Green Gables, and mm-hmm. it was Anne and Gilbert, that's what I loved was their chemistry and dynamic, and Joe and Laurie, and all of the the, yeah. the couples of my childhood, I think, gosh, there were so many clues that I should have picked up on. Yeah, yeah, it's really funny. I think, and that's where I think, like, in my 20s, I would have tried to write the great American novel, like all caps, right? Like, cause that's what I thought I was supposed to do, or that's what I was told I was supposed to do. If I'm going to write, it needs to be, you know, meaningful writing. And the thing is like, for me, like writing a romance novel is meaningful writing, (laughs) you know, it's meaningful writing, you know, It it is meaningful. And I think of the times, you know, I have very clear memories of, you know, of, times in my life that were really difficult and these sort of uplifting romance stories were a solace to me as a reader and I think as writers if that's what we are giving to the world and to our readers that is amazing so yeah I I you know now I I don't really care what people think about what I write because I love it and my fans love it and I adore being part of this community. Absolutely. And the readers are like the best. Yes. I, I think my, I like, I love my readers. I think romance readers are the absolute best people in the world. The best. And, you know, it's sort of, you know, I, there's just a, I don't know, like just, there's like genuineness in the community, I think. And there's, um, you know, a genuine kindness and a sort of understanding that, I don't know, it's kind of like uplifting, I suppose. I mean, not to say like, I mean, there are always parts that aren't so pretty, um, but there is like a general sense of like a rising tide, right? And we're going to like lift everybody up amongst the authors and amongst the fans and the readers. And like, it's just a really great community to be a part of. I agree. And I think we have this, we have this thing in common, you know, whether it's through the books or like the Bridgerton series getting made into the Netflix show, you know, the romance community has a wonderful, uplifting foundation in common. So I agree with you. I hope that, you know, we, the tide, we lift everyone up. Yeah. So I'm curious, since you were 30, when you read your first romance, what book was it? So I don't remember the Ah. exact, but it was a Joanna Lindsay. It was a Joanna Lindsay. Yes. And yeah. it was, I got it in the Denver airport. I was having to fly. I It was during the dot-com bubble and I was in HR and I was laying off people around the country oh. and I developed this horrible fear of flying. So I just picked up this book randomly and the flight 
was no problem. And then I began, and then after that, it was actually, um, Julia Quinn, it was, um, an offer from a gentleman. It was Benedict's story that, um, that was the second book I picked up. And from there I was just completely hooked. Oh, wow. Okay. So you were, I kind of love this because I'm not a great flyer. And so you developed a fear of flying. Was it from the stress of the job? It was stress. I think it was stress of the job. One, it, if you're flying west out of Denver, there's almost always turbulence as you mm. go out and come in over the mountains. Right. But yeah, so I was traveling to San Francisco, Salt Lake City, and um, Portland, and I was laying people off every week. And it was it was a horrible, horrible ending to that part of my career. So um, yeah, I got really wow. stressed out about flying and I'm I'm better now I think but it lasted for a while wow that reminds me of that um George Clooney movie did you see that one yes up in the air Up in the air yeah where he's like he like flies everywhere to just lay people off yes it was very much like that oh man and that's wild and so you sort of ended up finding solace in these books I did. I did. And I was, um, I was actually getting married at the time I was planning a wedding and yeah, it just from there, I started reading everything I could get my hands on. And initially when I thought about being a writer, I wanted to write historical romance because that was what I had started reading. And I, I loved that. I, and I still do love that genre it is a lot of detail and research. Yeah. And I, I found that that wasn't, it wasn't exactly the best for my voice or for my ability to care about the details of, of what a woman is wearing. Although I love reading those details. And then at some point I picked up one of the Susan Elizabeth Phillips, Chicago stars books. And I was like, Oh, okay. This is, this is me. So I'm, I'm kind of curious how you did make that transition from romance reader to romance writer. Like at what point were you sort of like, okay, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to write a book. Well, so I was, I was laying people off and my company was going bankrupt. So I oh. knew that my job was ending. And, and so I was transitioning into a consulting role for someone and, really, as soon as I just immerse myself in the genre, more stories started popping up in my head. And, you know, I'm sure you get the question. I get the question a lot, you know, how do you think of ideas? How do you, you know, and I get my ideas from everywhere, you know, a conversation, something I overhear, a little snippet of the news. But I feel like, this is how my brain works. I don't do a lot of things naturally well, but mm. my brain works that if somebody tells me a detail, I can turn it, at, you know, I'm a storyteller at heart. So it it seemed like a natural progression once I found romance and loved it so much that, you know, I'd always loved writing growing mm. up and this is, you know, felt very real. Yeah. Okay. I I get that because I, you know, for, for me, like I've started, um, 
like changing story. So I would watch a movie or a TV show or read a book and I would completely change the story in my head. So I would just finish it and I would go, oh, you know what should have happened? And then I'd like kind of rewrite the story. And, yeah, I was, and, eventually, I, and eventually I was like, well, this is stupid. Why don't you write your own damn story? You, know? you have the skills, you know, you just need to sit down and do it. And so I did. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I still do it though. I'll still like be like, oh my God, they should have done this. It's like a Monday morning quarterback, everybody else's stuff. (laughs) Which I'm not, you know, I don't, I really don't recommend. Um, But I'm like, oh, I wish this had happened instead. And, or side characters, you know, go off and make up little stories for side characters. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Secondary characters are the best. I love sidekicks. They're my favorite. Me too. When I started writing, I start actually started. Um, when I started writing novels, I was writing an urban fantasy, um, urban fantasy genre, in, and not romance. And I just did a transition. And so, um, but urban fantasy was like my favorite. I got to write some great sidekicks. There's not as much room for sidekicks in romance as I'd like, um, but you always need that sort of like team of supernatural fighters. For um for urban fantasy, you usually need like a little team, and and um and so you got a lot of really great sidekicks. That is that is so fun. I will tell you, I am a, a huge movie fan of anything superhero or in anybody's universe. So, and I love all the side characters that they they add. Are you do you watch the boys? I was just gonna yes! say the boys. I just watched the trailer for season three. I, was, ah! I can't wait for that show to come back. It is so good. Yes. And that's one where it feels like everybody is just so well off the rails and rich yeah. and nuanced and what's gonna happen next. I love it. Oh so. my god. It, I had I went into that show thinking it was going to suck too. I don't know about you, but I had such low expectations for that show, which I know it was by Eric Kripke who created Supernatural, another show I absolutely love. Yes. Um and but he did what was it? he did a show in between um that he left Supernatural for. He left show show running Supernatural to do this show that was also on the same network and I can't remember what it was, but it was kind of god awful. And okay. so I was like, oh, he's, he's probably one of those people that only have like the one good show in him, right? And then he did The Boys and I was like, oh, it's probably going to suck. It is perfect. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I had the same thing when I first, you know, saw it in Homelander and I was like, okay, what, what exactly is this? And is this just going to be too much of a caricature or cheesy that they've turned this all on its head? But Gosh, it's amazing. It is. I cannot wait for it to come back. It's like, it's like, I'm, I know it's coming soon too. So I'm getting really excited about it. Yes. <laughs> Would you ever write a superhero romance or like an urban fantasy, like paranormal or something like that? I feel like I, I would, I would, um, I just haven't had, I haven't had the idea yet. So, um, but but I would love to explore that and really build build a world from there. Yeah. Um, I want to sort of go back to tropes for a second because um, so for, for your book, The Wedding Season, which just came out and I've got this, that's the steamy scene. I really love the setup. So you've got your two characters. Mariella is um, our main character and she is a bridal designer. And... Yes. 
she has um I'm sorry I'm I'm blowing this maybe you should explain it <laughs> so Mariella was a very famous sort of Vera Wangish there you know level of uh, bridal dress designer and then but she, you know she was kind of a mess in her personal life and then discovered that her fiance was having an affair with one of her brides who happened to be a famous Hollywood actress. And she went in and kind of had this moment where she um, broke up the wedding of her client to this man, Alex Ralston, who ends up being the hero of this story. And it was, it was a bad, it was a low point for her. It went viral. She torpedoed her career. And so now she's come to this small town of Magnolia, North Carolina. Um, she opened a resale boutique. She's been convinced to help um, work on an inn and she's slowly rebuilding her life on her terms. And then the man, Alex, who you know, is the reminder of everything she did wrong in her past moves to town. I love it. So this is kind of second chance, but not really. Yeah. A little bit of second chance, some enemies to lovers. And it, it ends up just because of how I wrote Mariella being a reverse grump and sunshine where she is very, very prickly Mm. and, you know, Alex, I, I really, because she was so, and I had set her up in previous books as so sort of combative and um, had this really hard show that I just felt like I wanted to give her somebody who the readers knew from the start was a really good guy. Like she needed that That's to pull guy. her out of of her sort of self-imposed exile. Have you written a reverse grumpy? Because I wrote a reverse grumpy and I think I got dinged a little bit for it. <laughs> I, is this your first I, one? I think this is my first one. I mean, I've I've certainly, I have a tendency to write snarky heroines mm-hmm. just because that's, uh, maybe they take out after me a little bit. But yeah, I think this is my first my first one. Okay. And I'm just kind of curious, has the, have the readers been good? Okay. With it? Because I know like it's, it's hard to find a balance between like that grumpy and just being an asshole. Right. Like, and I think that some of, I, I don't know that I, maybe I, maybe I like missed the mark a little bit with some of the reader responses. Um, although I kind of love it that she's a bit of an asshole. Cause that's like in her background and that's the point you know, as that, that, that she, that's what she needs to do. That's her defense mechanism, you know? Yeah. So I, so far the readers, um, now longtime readers of the series, this is the, this is the third book okay. in the Carolina girls series. So I think they were introduced to Mariella and so they knew what to expect. I feel like I have had a great response to her. Um, but I did put some, you know, she also has, you know, a daughter she didn't really know about who comes comes in. So I and I gave her um I gave her a fish that she really adores and oh. it's named Millie. And so I I did I was pretty conscious of purposely putting some things in to show her softer side, right. even if it was just with 
you know, the goldfish she adores. Right. I I love that you used a goldfish. That's awesome. <laughs> Some people use dogs or whatever, and you're like, no, goldfish. Right. <laughs> and, I, and again, for her, at that point, a dog was too much. Even, yeah. if, even if cat was too much, she could pretty much handle the emotional connection with a fish. So <laughs> that tells you something about her. <laughs> that is so fantastic. What we learn about the characters based on their choice of pets. And it's so true. <laughs> um, that That's sort of like bringing up a question for me. How, do you do deep character work? Because it seems like I, you do. I do. I do. And that is most of my books start with a character, even, um, you know, as I'm planning a series, they start with the characters and then sometimes it's the hero. Sometimes it's the heroine, but from there it's very much a deep dive into, okay, what happened to them? What is their journey going to be? And who is the perfect person to push their buttons, but also get them to this next level where they deserve a happily ever after. So. Oh, I kind of, I like that. So you don't necessarily have like, let's say your heroine comes to mind first and you're writing all of this. You don't actually have a hero in mind for them. They come up kind of after, like after you've done the deep character work on her. Sometimes. Yeah. Now, you know, I think as you get further along in the series, as you've set things up, right. Um, you know, I have had books where, you know, I go, gosh, okay, if I had to do it over again, I would not have paired these two together. Let's figure out how to make this work. But um, yeah, do you so you do have regrets? (laughs) Yes, yes. Sometimes where I'm like, wow, I made this more of a challenge than it needed to be. I love it when I do that. (laughs) Um, I, I sort of only, I mean, do you have a full series? arc and a whole series plan or are you pantsing that a little bit I know I pants my series like a lunatic I typically my mind works in threes so I typically do um at least three books where I kind of have an idea where I'm going and then as I start writing you know, as characters either come up or I think, oh, I need to, you know, hero bait this a little bit, then I develop it from there. Gotcha. I have a tendency to to pants the external plot where I yeah. know that very loosely, but then it's typically about a third or three quarters of the way through the book where I'm like, Oh, now I see where this is going. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't recommend that, but yeah, it's not my favorite. It's not the best, but I'm the same way. And if if I do sit down and plot something out, you know, book out, I I actually just end up like chucking the plot halfway through anyway. Right. So you know, so I do that. I sort of do that deep character work, and then I. And then I just start writing and I sort and again, I have like a general idea. I probably have like start here, go here and here general idea. So, I mean, when I say general, super general, and then I just start writing and I, I don't know. I don't know. It's not, it's not, I don't think it's the most efficient way, but it's what it's. I would works. agree with that. But again, for me, I'm the same way where it, it does tend to unlock my creativity of okay, now something comes in and I can follow that a little bit, you know, as a plot point or an emotional beat. And 
that's the part that I think, you know, when you've written for a while or a lot of books, that's the part to me that keeps it fresh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or maybe that's just me rationalizing it in my head. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I do it. (laughs) This is why it works. (laughs) Meanwhile, I mean, I will say this, like I have so many deleted scenes that I can share with my email list. Like I'm like, oh, you want another scene? You want another deleted scene? Here, I got another for you. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Because I just have so many of them because, you know, yeah, yeah, I don't plot these suckers out. (laughs) So when so do you have a mix of um of, do you write all open door or do you have like a mix of suite or close the door plus I think I up? have a mix and I feel like um I did a series several years ago for Montlake um a four book series and I feel like that was that was a little steamier um more open door more you know more the physicality of the, um, of the steamy scenes. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I, I also have a tendency to let my characters kind of dictate that for me a little bit. So. All right. Cool. Oh, you know what? Before we get into like really the intimate bits, I almost forgot to ask you about this. Um, I, you know, was was researching and saw your piece on Writer's Digest for writing enemies to lovers, mm-hmm. which we have in wedding season, um, sort of. And you had said it was your favorite trope. And so um, and and I'm and I love that in your piece, enemies does not mean toxic. Like that was sort of like a big pull away. And I was like, yes. Okay. And I do think that there is a tendency towards toxic sometimes and particularly, you know, like those super, super, super dark romances. Yes. Or, you know, super, super alpha, um, you know, and, and again, I think this is where, you know, the romance genre, I mean, things evolve and, and reader sensibilities evolve. um, But to me, part of romance, even if they are enemies, there is an inherent level of, you know, I I don't want to say, I I don't mean honor in that, you know, I'll have my hero and my heroines do really stupid, you know, really mess up in bad ways, but I don't find anything sexy about toxic relationships. I mean, I've, you know, I've been in them and they yeah, are, that is not, it is not what I want to put out there. And I think, you know, I, again, I think that's, that's what makes enemies to lovers for me really special is when you can do that, that conflict in the budding heads. And I love banter and I love when a hero and a heroine are really challenging each mm-hmm. other at a lot of different levels. But as a reader, you're getting these little breadcrumbs of, you know, respect and yeah. true, you know, honor. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it believable when it turns and they end up together. Right. And I, that's the word I was going to toss out there is respect. I think that even though they are 
enemies, you know, and I'm putting, I'm putting quotes, you can't see it, but I'm putting like little air quotes around that. Even though they're enemies, there is a level of respect between the two characters um, that I think that that keeps it from moving into abuse, right? Like the two characters have to respect each other lest you end up in a relationship that is, that is toxic and it is no more the banter and the push and pull that you sort of enjoy with, you know, that, that to me is the part that I enjoy with enemies to romance is that they just kind of push each other's buttons a little bit. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Like they poke, they poke, they poke each other, but nobody actually punches. Yes. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, how do you know when you've crossed the line? I I guess the respect, you don't, something feels like, Oh, that, that doesn't feel respectful. Right. I mean, I right. I, I think when it goes from, you know, to me, again, a, a lot of these characters and Mariella is a great example of that, you know, so much of her like anger and her poking and her prickliness is that self-defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's why it's really important to understand the characters and their backstory. Not You don't have to you know, do the info dump, but as a writer, yeah. if we know these people and their motivation is true, she doesn't necessarily want to hurt him. She's just lashing out, which we all do, you know, because we're hurting ourselves. Right. So I right. think- it's important to reveal where it comes from and, you know, they're not purposely being cruel. They're, you know, they have a lot to learn. Yeah. It's sort of like for, for, for my reverse grumpy, like for her, it was really, it was protection. It was self-preservation and it had nothing to do with the hero. You know, her, her responses had really nothing to do with him. It was all about self-preservation for her and her kid, you know? And so that, and I think that that's where I I think, you know, she, she wasn't being nasty to be, you know, just for the sake of being nasty or because she could. Right. And I, again, I think that's where then the glimpses of, you know, even a super uh, broody alpha hero, him doing something very, you know, sweet and kind Mm -hmm. and even that tiny thing, it means so much more when you set it up that way. But to me, there are things, you know, that, that feel cruel or hurtful or abusive that either physically or emotionally I can't get over as a reader. So I, I wouldn't put that in as a writer. Right. Exactly. And I think that, you know, another thing that you sort of talked about, and I think that in the article, and I think really lends itself to conversations about intimacy between the characters is you're talking about trust and vulnerability and, and your characters need to trust each other, even if they're like guarding, right? Like they're guarding each other somehow. Like the characters need to trust each other to be vulnerable, to go into an intimate scene, right? Yes. For me, they do. Yeah. 100%. And whether the the scene ends up really steamy or closed door, I think there is what makes a sex scene special in a romance to me is that they are connecting at that level of essence. And mm. so even if, you know, they're enemies, the lovers, or they're competing for some goal, you know, 
you have this sort of really encapsulated special moment where they're, you know, the, the mask is down and they're seeing each other in a, in a true way. And that I think is really hot. Yeah, it really is. Okay. Let's dig into your, I think this is a good, good segue into the steamy moment because I think that you've got some, we touched a lot on a lot that's like sort of like in this little scene, you know, which I think is super cool. Uh, so, so can you set, set this up for us? Where are we in the story? So we are, um, you know, so she, again, and I, I, you know, not to do a spoiler alert, but um, it happens very quickly that um, Mariella's um, finds that she has a, a, the daughter who she gave up for adoption comes back to find her and uh, sort of, is in this town working for Alex. So, um, you know, that was, that, that's another big plot element, but uh, he really helps her and Heather, her daughter connect. So um, in this scene, they, you know, something has happened with the girl that has really shaken them both and they were together. So they are um, at her house, I think, which, you know, just sort of the setup of the scene, it seems like a really small point, but it was important to me to put them there because she has to invite him in, not just to her house and her bedroom, but like it has to be her kind of being vulnerable. Mm, okay. All right. Okay. Um, so was, this is like the tiniest, tiniest snippet, which is like the first couple of lines that I absolutely like loved. Mariella returned from the shower 15 minutes later and let out an appreciative gasp at her newly cleaned kitchen. You do housework too? The next time I decide to get married, I'm choosing you as my groom. Okay, I totally started laughing at this because I'm like, you know, first of all, you say something that just like pops out of your mouth and you're like, oh shit, like that's sort of like the regret where I'm like, oh my God, I should have never said that. Like, I absolutely loved that part. And I loved that like he cleaned. I did, so I did, <laughs> and she was like, oh my God, I think I'm in love with you because <laughs> I did a TikTok post because I'm terrible at TikTok. But I have like Jason Moma coming out of like the water and he's looking all sexy and it's like what people think sexy is. And then I have like a picture of my husband vacuuming and I'm like, what really is sexy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think this is the first sex scene that I've written that has started in the kitchen or potentially with a man unloading the dishwasher because it's, and I think somebody gave me a book a few years ago where it was like men doing housework and it was all of those kind of kind of scenes but um I do think you know for a woman and for somebody who's really independent and used to taking care of herself just that that bit that he did it without being asked that meant something to her you know so um again I I think sex for sex sake is great 
but in the context of a romance novel where you are building this connection between them, it it has to hit on a lot of levels for me. And to me, this signified, like when I read that, immediately signified partnership. Yes. Like, the, like that was like, okay, like this is like, he is behaving like th- there's going to be a partnership here. There's going to be an even sort like they're coming together on this sort of like common ground. And he's not going to be like the person that's like, I don't, I don't clean the kitchen. I don't, I don't wash the toilet. I don't, you know, like you've got, you've already, you're already sort of setting up this like, oh, partnership. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you're already kind of like getting invested, or at least I was um, getting invested in this, in this relationship working out simply on that, like what, three lines? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I promise it gets sexier. I mean, we're not. (laughs) Okay. Another little thing. Also, just another like sentence that jumped out at me. She tried not to think about how it would feel to watch him fall in love with someone else now that they had this strange and wonderful friendship thing going on. I really liked that. Was this her turning point? Um, I think it was, it becomes a turning point, sort of an unwilling turning point. Yes. I mean, I think she is a reluctant, you know, she is somebody who comes to love reluctantly. So, but yes, for sure. Okay. All right. Okay. Now we're going to get into the bits. Okay. She took his hand and tugged on it. When he turned back, she leaned in and kissed him. She tried not to put all the needs she felt into the kiss to have it be more of an open-ended question. Is this the first time they kiss, by the way? I, I hate to interrupt, but... Is it is time? not. It is they not. kissed one, yes. So they, they kissed, kissed one other there. time. Yes. Okay, got it. To have it be more of an open-ended question. He could, he could choose to move forward, but if he backed away, she would respect his decision. She wasn't going to throw herself at somebody who didn't want her. To her great delight, he threaded his big hands through her hair and angled her head so that he had better access to her mouth. His tongue melded with hers, and he pulled her close as he continued to deepen the connection until their bodies were pressed together. She pulled his shirt up and over his head, feeling that she might explode if she couldn't get her hands on his skin. He let out a ragged moan when she drew her fingernails over the hard planes of his shoulders. As if he craved the feel of her skin with the same driving desire, he reached under her shirt and spread his hands over her back. When his teeth nipped at her earlobe, need spiraled through her with the force of a tornado. It threatened to undo the protective layers she'd fashioned into the foundation of her life, ripping through the segments like they were nothing more than a stack of children's blocks. Bedroom, she whispered, shocked when the word came out on a needy pant. He let out a knowing chuckle when she all but sprinted down the hall, towing him along in her wake. Where's the fire, he asked. She glared at him over her shoulder, but didn't stop moving. I'm not giving you the satisfaction of the in my pants answer. As they entered the bedroom, he stopped and spun her to face him. I want you, Mariella. His hair was messed, his muscled chest rising and falling in unsteady breaths, and his gaze a little wild as he studied her. Ditto, she said, then cringed. She sounded like a fool. She reached between them and cupped his erection through his, through his jeans. I get that in a big way. Emphasis on big. Mariella, he gently pulled her hand away from him and linked their, fi- their fingers together. I want to be with you. <sighs> okay. 
So I swooned at this one. I, I, I think that that single sentence, like, yeah, like the lead up was amazing. And then that single sentence, I guess, like, just swept like that. They just, it just kind of swept me away. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Cause you had the build, the build, the build and things are getting, you know, things are sort of progressing between them. You know where this is headed. And then that one, that one pause on his part, it like really did just like sweep me away. It was really cool. Thank you. Well, and I, I think this is where, you know, and not that Alex is all sunshiny, but I think this is where the reverse sunshine comes in, where it would have been easier for Mary Ella if it was just sex, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I really, you know, in writing this, I, I wanted to make sure she knew from him that it was, you know, it, it meant something. So. And it's so clear that even though like she would be okay if it was just sex, I don't think she would be okay if it was just sex. Do you know? Like, I think she thinks she would be okay. if (laughs) You know, there's a sort of like, because she's, she's being so casual and so like, oh, it doesn't work out. It's not that big of a deal. But under the undercurrent of that, to me, was that she might be kind of crushed. Yes. Well, and because if it's not just sex, that means her emotions are involved in it, too. And that's the part that is scariest for her. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why, like, I love like just looking at these intimate scenes because it really does tell you so much about a character. Like I haven't read the book, right? I haven't read the whole book and, but just reading the scenes and sort of seeing the interaction between the characters, like I already know so much about them. And I think that there's so much that you can learn and see and experience with the characters through these intimate moments that you, that, you know, that are, that are important, obviously to the story, but just also, you know, just speak to me as a reader. Right. Well, I'm glad. And I think, I don't know how it is for you or for other, the, the sex scenes, you know, again, whether, and I think mine are pretty mild on the steamy level, but they take a long time to craft and mm. to write and to figure out, you know, how this is going to work because I do expect them and I want these scenes to to do more than just, you know, be the the sex part that you expect in a romance novel. I, I want them to hit on those on those different levels and for the. For the characters and for the readers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know I slow down so much when I'm, you know, like I can write at a good clip and all of a sudden I'm at that intimate moment and I'm like, you know, a hundred words an hour. Like it just, it just slows me down so much and it kind of makes me nuts. And for a while I was just like, well, you don't have the skill to be able to write this and that's why you're slowing down. So I'm kind of relieved to hear you say that you you do the same thing. Well, and I do a thing that I, again, I do not recommend and I have sort of trained myself out of, but because I do fast drafts, so I write very, you know, very quickly to, to and I don't go back and edit as I'm writing the first draft. So if I know something's going to slow me down, like a sex scene, I write, you know, I get to a certain point and then write, insert sex scene here. 
you know, and so then I finish and I'm going back and editing and I'm on deadline and I get to that. I'm like, ah, what were you thinking? That's horrible. And now you're like, oh shit, it's going to take me five hours to write yes, this. And then I, you know, so whether you take it five hours during the draft or five hours during the editing process, it doesn't really change. So. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. I've gotten sometimes I've just gotten so frustrated. I've been like, insert sex scene here. But I do think that like my my intimate scenes, like I kind like they propel my characters to the next thing. So yes. it's like, so sometimes it's hard to just sort of go, okay, put a, put, put a scene in here, you know, cause I need them to finish so that they can sort of like move on to the next thing, to you know, it. to that kind of advance. Um, and, and that's where I think, um, because I've read a lot of steamy, like steamy, steamy, steamy books where there's like, God, I don't know, 10, 15, like there's a lot of sex in the book. Like there's a lot. And, and I often wonder like, maybe I, maybe I have two, three, if you're lucky in my books, I don't have a lot of sex scenes. And yeah, I have a tendency. I typically do two, you know, open door, semi-open door, and then maybe one, you know, one more, more closed door. Yeah. I'll do a fade to black or I'll do, but yeah, but like, I don't, I don't write a lot. And I think it's because I always do want the, that intimate moment to propel the characters forward in some way. And so I feel like just constantly having, like, if they're always having sex, as fun as that might be, where, (laughs) where are we going with this? You know? Right. Uh, and how are we and how are they moving forward? And I, I find like I skip over those scenes in the in books that have a lot of them. I just end up just kind of skipping right over them because I'm like, OK, this I just want I, I want to get to more of the story because I'm, I'm more invested in the characters, I think, than the act of sex. And this is from somebody that writes steam. Right. Yeah. No, I, I totally yeah, I totally see that. And like I said, I re- read a lot of historical romance and it is can be very steamy. Um, and I, you know, I think there are people who do it really well. But yes, I have a tendency to, at some point in the book, start reading quickly in mm. those scenes. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, because sometimes I just want to get to like, okay, what's going to happen to them? Like, yes. Okay, they've already had sex four times. Now I don't want to know what's going to happen to them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Now we're getting to the steamy bits, like the real steamy bits. They made it to the bed and he curled his fingers in the waistband of her cotton pants. The air felt cool on her fiery skin as he pulled them down her legs. He towed off his shoes then stripped out of his jeans with practice deficiency to join her. The first man she'd allowed into her bed since her broken engagement. The only man she could imagine wanting there. He pulled a condom packet from his wallet, so she expected things to move fast from there, but once again, Alex did the unexpected. He gave her a long, deep kiss, then trailed his mouth down her body as if he wanted to memorize every inch of her by taste and feel. When he stopped at the apex of her thighs, she thought about protesting. This was too much, too intimate, too vulnerable for her. But she couldn't find her voice or the real desire to make him stop. In fact, she heard the word yes escape her lips the answer to a question she wasn't even sure he'd asked out loud. The encouragement seemed to be exactly what he wanted, and he licked along her center, sparks shooting through her as he teased and coaxed her with his tongue and teeth. Oh, he knew his way around a woman's body. Or maybe it was just her reaction to him, 
He hummed her name and she fisted her hands in his hair. Her back arched as he drove her out of her mind with pleasure. She lost herself to it, shocked when the explosion pulsed through her far more quickly and with more intensity than she could have imagined. She hadn't ever imagined feeling the shuddering bliss Alex gave her. When he moved back up her body, she reached out and grabbed the condom he'd tossed onto the bed next to them. Because as amazing as her release had been, she still wanted more. Rolling the condom over his hot length, she nudged him between her legs, reveling in the heat she felt rolling off him in waves. Tell me again you want this, he said, his voice hoarse with need. More than I want my next breath, she answered. She cradled his face between her hands. I want you, Alex. Ditto, he told her. Then ripped then gripped her hips and plunged into her, filling her in a way that felt so right. They set the rhythm together, steady as they moved as one. Emotion shimmered through her like hummingbird wings, delicate in a way that could terrify her if she let them. So she concentrated on the sensation of their joining, the way he whispered her name like a prayer, and the passion that flamed between them. She wasn't inexperienced, but this felt new and precious. Her eyes drifted closed as the release washed through her, not as sharp or surprising as the first time. It was like being bathed in golden light and she cried out Alex's name, then heard his answer and groan as he found his own climax. Oh my God, that was so amazing. <laughs> it's weird to hear. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sorry. I, ages ago. Oh, it's good. I was like, you know, because I'm, I... This book came out last month, but I am several books ahead now. So I love revisiting. Oh, good. Your connection. Good, good. I know. And it's weird. It's funny because I mean, ages ago, I did a podcast interview where they, I, I, they made me read my own book. And I was like, and I love the idea. I mean, it's hard to talk about these things without sort of like examples, right? And like, what do you think, you know, and, and so that and, and I was like, well, I could have the authors. And then I'm like, oh, that's mean. <laughs> oh, that's so mean so I was like you, well, read you it. sound beautiful reading it you should be a um a narrator as well as a writer and all the other things you do oh thank you I mean you know if it lets me quit my day jobs <laughs> I, I will definitely consider it I need a better I need like a better studio like my studio is my office I don't have anything blocked off because I'm just like I don't have room for that but um yeah it's something that I've thought about but I don't know if I'd be any good at it but thank you thank you but okay, so I love that this is open door without being so graphic. And this is what I was teasing before. And like the sort of like the stuff you left out is like really that sort of like throbbing cock and like, you know, my pussy ached. Like, you know, those things, which I, I do. I do those. So like no no shame, right? No shame. And I read those. I know I you know, and I enjoy those scenes as well. So so but I really like loved that you had this like equilibrium of it being just sexy enough so that it's open door and we're what we're watching them we're voyeurs right they're having their moment but it's not as sort of like graphic as as some people myself included right and so I'm kind of like curious how you balance the just sexy enough. Have you written you you I think Montlake you said you wrote something that was more yes, graphic. I have, I have written steamier right. um I I just and again, I don't think it was, it was, it's been a purposeful evolution for me. Um, and again, I read a lot of really sexy books and, and I, and I like that. Um, it just, 
I guess with everything I'm, I'm, you know, trying to communicate or, you know, this is the level that works that that feels authentic to their story. And, you know, because I do, I mean, obviously, which I, I hope it is for most writers, you know, consent is a big deal for me, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I hope it it is clear, you know, she's consenting to more than just the physical act. I mean, she's consenting to letting him in. And as you mentioned before, that being a turning point scene, that's the real turning point for her. It's not just the having sex. It's that she, you know, or that it's the first time she's had sex since her engagement. It's that she is letting this man in and mm-hmm. I, and i know he understands that too and that it i think he maybe gets it even more than she does cuz she's still trying to deny it after it happens right. that it it meant what it did right. and you know it's sort of it's it's really funny to sort of like read this and be like i don't you know it, i don't miss the graphic like the graphic sex like I don't miss it because I understand what's happening between them on like the other because you you're really doing of like the, their feelings are so powerful and yes. and you're and you're able to write that and I think that's where I I, I like you know quote unquote fail uh, when I'm writing romance is sometimes I don't quite trust that the emotions are enough to drive the narrative you know, and I think that's a hard thing to trust as a writer. It is a hard thing to trust. And if you, you know, I mean, I think there is something really powerful too. Again, especially the first one, if it is a very erotic and very hot scene, you know, there's something that can happen within the physical bits where you get that as well. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's a wrong way to communicate, you know, what's, what's happening. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're absolutely not. But I do think that that's, I think that's why sort of like people are, I don't know, you know, like some writer, some people are like, oh, romance, it must be so easy to write that, you know? And it's just like, actually, no, it's not. It's really fucking hard. It's <laughs> really hard. And I think it's hard at any steam level. I yes. mean, I know writers who write completely closed door, but so there's that, um, there's that pink song, it, the glitter in the air. And the one line in there is the breath before the kiss. And that it's so powerful, right? So I think, you know, there are writers who do an amazing job, really hot, and you totally get what they're doing. And then there are writers who it's completely closed door, but you still get that chemistry and that, you know, what that means. I almost feel like closed door is harder sometimes because you do have to get a lot across and you don't have the ability of using that sort of, the sort of physicality to sort of draw out the, the emotions. Like you just have to draw out the, the emotions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, that's why, again, when it's well done, it is, you know, I just, any book that is well done is a, a pleasure to read. Yeah, absolutely. No matter what the steam level, yeah. <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> 
Um, so where can people find you on the internet? Do you are you on a, like or what where, what social media are you on? So mostly I am on Instagram and then some Facebook. Um, I don't do as much Twitter just because it it it's toxic. It's, well, yes, it is. Yeah, I, I don't love to go on there because I get tendency to get sucked down a pretty negative rabbit hole yeah. when I when I do. So Instagram. Um, and I am at Michelle Major author and on Facebook, it's Michelle Major books. So, and I, and I will link to those in, um, in the show notes. Have you done TikTok yet? I, I do have a TikTok account. I haven't done a lot with it. Um, it is, it is on my list, but I think what has held me back is my 17 year old daughter tells me how embarrassing it is for me to do that. So uh, yeah, I have an 18 year old and she doesn't care, but she's definitely not going to be following me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm terrified. I'm there and I do some things, but I don't know. The whole thing is so terrifying. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, you know, it, it, again, to do something like TikTok really well, I do think takes some time and some effort. And um, right now I have been on kind of back to back to back deadlines. I had three books to turn in sort of in a row and that will be ending at the end of the month. And so my plan is this summer to sort of find my TikTok feet. Okay. All right. Well, come find me on TikTok so we can, <laughs> we, we can cheer each other on because I'm, I'm trying. So I keep telling myself and I go have these little spurts where I'll sit down and come up with ideas and maybe I'll record something. So I've got a few TikToks sitting in draft, but I'm too chicken shit to let them go. <laughs> like it is, it, it is a lot to put out there. It really is. And then also like, oh, well, you need to do it three times a day. I'm like, who's got time yes, for this shit? Right, right. Even if you can, I mean, I know people who are really good at like batching and just, um, you know, so I, I follow a podcaster. Um, I'm super into the law of attraction and sort of the universal stuff. And so I follow this podcaster out of England and what she has talked about is she tries to remind herself that she's getting on social media um, when she's doing it for her business to create content, not to consume it. And I have a tendency to go down the consumption road. Yeah, well, it's hard not because there are some really great authors out there doing really fun TikToks. And, you know, and there's some like I'm like totally obsessed with like um, the teachers on TikTok are hilarious and gay talk is my jam. Like I love what it's like. There's just so much fun stuff on there. And then and then and then, you know, two hours later, I'm like, oh, shit. Right. And the beauty stuff and the hacks and the I mean, there it's it is it's an amazing world out there. Yeah, it, it is an amazing world. And, and we're supposed to put our, but, and that's the other thing too, is like, I'm like, I will never be like this good. So why bother? Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, my shit's going to suck. So why bother? But I know that I'm supposed to be there and I should be there, but I'll be there eventually. Maybe. <laughs> Me too. I'll be there with you. That's we'll, what we'll be there in spirit together. <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much for being here. It's been really great to have you. 
Thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. I appreciate it. So Michelle and I are both terrified of TikTok, but yes, you can both, you can find us both there. And since our conversation, she's released something like 100 books. Um, just kidding, but she does have a few holiday ones coming out, uh, which I recommend checking out as well as her book, Wedding Season. Now, can I ask a favor? If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a rating um, and a review on your favorite podcast app. It helps with discoverability so other people can get the lowdown on writing the naughty bits. Thanks so much for being here with me. Tune in next time when Joe Wild joins me on the Steam Seat. <laughs>